Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? Very well, thanks, John. Good. And Harriet Clarford. How are you, Harriet? I'm fine, thank you. I don't think we've been in a room together in the podcast. I don't think we have. I think it's the first time. Excellent. Well, you've written the cover page this week and it's great. It's a great feature. Oh, thank you. How, how did it go? Um, yeah, it was really interesting to write, actually. I learned a lot of stuff myself. Looking, What's it about? What's it about? Um, so it's basically about a range of emergent and developmental technology. Developmental? That's not a word. That's, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll, 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 we'll go with developmental. <laughs> developmental stages. They're technologies which you might have read about in the past sort of decade or so, I'd say. So examples are artificial intelligence, virtual reality and 3D printing. And these, these technologies are all coming to... to they're gathering yeah. momentum right and now. And I think what we've kind of seen is that they're almost reaching a tipping point now. So a lot of companies, large and small around the world, are now buying into these technologies in a, in a big way. OK, we'll talk about this in a minute when we okay. uh, when we get past the news. So you, Megan, have been looking after the news section this week in Emma's absence. So uh, what's been going on? You've, um, written, you've written it, most of it as I, well. I did, so, uh, I did write a little bit it. of it as well. There's been a lot of takeover stuff this week, which is the other thing that I look after in the magazine. And it's been all very interesting. So Right, what's going on? Well, we had, so we've had Aldermore, who have had a potential takeover offer. They had a lot of extremely exciting share price movement this week. So Aldermore so is a challenger bank. Challenger bank, yeah. So this would be the third challenger bank to be taken private this this year, if it, if the acquisition does go through. It's been approached by a South African company. So that's quite interesting. Tell it you've written about as well Tell in the main story. A lot, yeah, well, we've written about that a lot recently. But again, that's had sort of murmurings of potential takeover. The share price has been hammered recently. And I mean, if it's going to be bought, now's, now's going to be a good time for it to be bought. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. And then we also had Revolution Bars, which has oh, been a God. massive takeover story. I mean, this, this is, in terms of Revolution Bars and their approach to takeovers, this, this looks like a guy that's gone to a party... Yeah, <laughs> it, it sounds like the decision. All the meetings have happened. Didn't fancy, that, didn't fancy that one. Didn't fancy yeah. that one, and has ended up with no one. With nothing, exactly. Yeah. They, so yeah, Revolution Bars um, had a profit warning um, a few months ago, and soon after the profit warning, it was approached by Stonegate Pub Group, which owns like a Slug and Lettuce. Clearly, the CEO of Revolution Bars thought, yeah, we we like the look of that. Where we fit nicely into their their business. So Stonegate were offering 203 pence per share in cash for the um, acquisition. The management were all over it, how we're having that. And then... And they got some other offers on the way. And then another offer came along from Deltic, which owns a load of, like, dodgy old nightclubs. Deltic's offer was an all-share offer. And management were just, for some reason, very against that. And it was quite hard to work out the exact value of the deal because Deltic is not a listed company. And they were offering... What's they own? Prism. Nightclubs. What, what, what are they? I don't even know them. I mean, they're just they're cha- like loads of different chains of nightclubs. Oceana I, is another one. It's a perfect fit for Revolution Bars, you would have thought. The management, this is like pure speculation, but management seems to have been going for the whole like premium look. We are a nice chain of bars. This is Revolution Bars. So when the the opportunity from Delta came along, and they're all a little bit seedy, I think they don't, I don't know, maybe it was an image thing that mm. management was really against that, even though the offer actually looked quite good. But that offer was never accepted and Deltic said we're not willing to work with management. So they withdrew their offer and shareholders got to vote on the Stonegate offer. But shareholders voted against it, um, potentially because there was that other Deltic one floating around. I mean, is, is that what it is? is it, I mean, did they vote against it because it was because they thought they could get a pro- better, better price? Yeah, yeah, because there was I think there was quite a lot of speculation that the share price the offer could be be pushed higher. And the share price was actually above the offer price for a long time in the last few weeks. Um, 
So, but now it's completely fallen through and Stonegate under the takeover code aren't going to be allowed to make another approach for 12 months. Deltec also under takeover code can't make another approach for another six months. But surprisingly, Revolution Bell's share price has really not fallen very far at all, considering how low it was before the offer was made. So, I mean, shareholders seem pretty happy, but so what, what, CEO what, what, is not. What, what, He's gone. What are we saying, though? We are saying hold for the moment. Um, just hold on. We actually advised shareholders not to accept the offer. Oh, so we're, we're partly responsible <laughs> then, <laughs> for, it was our for, this, for this fiasco. <laughs> well, I'd like to think so. Because um, we were saying, wait and see whether Deltic makes a formal offer, mm. because they, they actually looked like they were being more generous. And one thing I do remember, that I, I can't remember the name of the company. Uh, I wish I'd looked into it beforehand. Uh, there was a listed nightclubs group on the London Stock Exchange a number mm. of years ago, and it didn't end well. Oh, really? No. Interesting. So, yeah, so maybe... That Deltic was going to try and reverse into Revolution Bar, so they would have kept the AIM listing, mm. and uh, so it would have been a much no, larger no, company. They're, no, no, they're full market. They're main market. Oh, are they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No main market. I had a long would training record. Would have kept record, their so. FTSE listing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. No, that, that one always catches me out as well. Yeah. You would have thought, you know, it's the kind of company you would expect to to be on AIM, but yeah. no, it's main market. Pretty sure of it. Okay. Um, you talk about the takeover code. Yes. So let's talk about the takeover code because there are rumblings that the takeover, yes. takeover code is going to change mm, yeah, in, which the, in is the months ahead. Interesting, yeah. So Greg Clark, who is the Business and Energy Secretary, he um, came out this week with proposals that the government can have a little bit more input into um, takeovers of any size. And I know I how much see you, you grinning, love Megan, you're... this coffee <laughs> um, It's interesting because there have been so many takeovers which have raised eyebrows recently and not Imagine. so recently and not so I mean, recently for, yeah. yeah for a long time yeah well yeah for for a very long time so uh, arm was um arm was one last year it was the first sort of big company to go when theresa may just after theresa may became prime minister yep. a lot of people said of all that she theresa may was very very pro keeping our tech companies our biotech and our pharma companies in the uk so when arm went people were a bit like mm. well no but arm but, but, what I will say is Arm didn't go. No. I mean, Arm was the ownership of Arm changed, but but Arm is still very much in the UK. And and one of the things that SoftBank said when it when it bought Arm was that it would continue to invest in its its UK business. Yeah, which and is it has good. done. And yeah, it has done. It has. But I mean, you can also make the argument that just saying that. I mean, they haven't. They didn't sign anything. There wasn't anything. Part of the contract was we are definitely going to keep these. Um, these jobs in it's, Cambridge. Yeah. So is that what it's about? I mean, is it putting putting some structure around the promises that foreign yeah, I predators think, yeah, make I think when they're buying companies? A, the sort of thing. I mean, when um, Pfizer and AstraZeneca was sort of coming for AstraZeneca, there was a lot of concern that all those pharmaceutical jobs, which are now in Cambridge um, for AstraZeneca, um, would be lost to the US. People would would have to move, and you you do see it quite a lot with companies that do shift their operations to the US or manufacturing to China. I, I, I mean, I think I've said to you before, I, I, mean, I think this all goes back to, I mean, it goes, you know, it's, it's a long-running saga in the UK, but the Cadbury was the big mm. one. Uh, and and the takeover by Kraft, where they promised to keep jobs in the UK yeah. and then basically didn't. Yeah. And a whole town was lost. Bourneville. No oh, Bourneville's still there. Yeah, but it's I bet like there's, a, there's property. Have you seen I mean, Bourneville's lovely. Yeah, it's, you know, but there's not really... Amazing, yeah. but there's no factory there. Yeah, there, there aren't any jobs in Bourneville anymore, <laughs> I, apart I from working I, at the Cadbury. I think the fa- the actual factories that were, were the problem were in Bristol. I think mm. Keensham, I think they were. But, uh, but yes, I mean, what is this about? I mean, I mean, we, we, have, we have philosophical debates about this. My yeah. view is that 
companies should run themselves as they feel fit. Yeah, and we have said that about um, this week about these two potential offers, Teller and Aldermore. If the share price, if the offer price is right, then I mean that's great for investors. But I think that the wider picture is is actually great for the UK economy to be having companies, all of our companies being run by overseas investors. The the, the growth in British tech and pharmaceuticals. I, yeah, I know. I, like I kind of, I, I kind of understand this argument. I understand that that this is something that seems, on the face of it, something something needs to be done. We need to keep British companies British. Yeah, but yeah, that is, that is that's a sentiment uh, which I don't like. That that that's just like the same sort of argument. But t- tell it's not British company anyway. No, We've not, talked about yeah. that. I mean, you know, AIM is, you know, AIM is an international market. In fact, it's market, the, the UK stock market is an international mm. market. That's the that's the point mm. of London. That's why London is successful because we are a, a hub of international capital. And, yeah. you know, we can't think like this. Yeah. If we want to con- continue to be a hub yeah. of international capital. And that is actually um, what the some I can't remember who it was was saying like we shouldn't be thinking about foreign foreign takeovers there isn't actually I mean in today and age there isn't really a foreign takeover everyone's trading with all the different countries everyone's buying in China selling in America everyone's trading around the world globally so really I mean it it does but it does make for a complicated question yeah Um, especially but I mean generally speaking I would say that this question goes back to protecting British jobs Mm. well that's that's the one thing British politicians actually care about yeah. protecting British jobs and obviously Cadbury was an example where that didn't happen mm. uh, but um, in the case of Arm it has happened yeah. they have kept British jobs and mm. they've actually made some more jobs too mm-hmm. you know think about the British car industry what, what is our car industry I mean it's 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 a, it's a conglomeration of foreign interests who have yeah. factories in the UK BMW Nissan you know so I, I mean it's I just, I just don't get the argument no. that that you need to protect these companies. Well, we're going to try and have this debate in another podcast. At some oh, point, we are. It's one of my favourite <laughs> ongoing debates. I love and it. Hopefully, we'll uh, get someone in who has a very strong opposing view to yours, and we'll have a nice, nice debate about it. Well, I look forward to speaking to John McDonnell on the podcast. It's <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's talk about what else is going on in the news. Oh, Convert- let's go to the tips, tip yes. updates for Convertech because uh, uh, you you tipped this as a sell a few weeks back, and you, what your concerns have, have perhaps perhaps become uh, more tangible mm. than, than the quick more quickly than you expected them. Yeah, to. well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of been. It hasn't been doing well since the summer, Convertech. It had a great IPO. Tell us what it do before we. Uh, yeah, Convertech. Oh, it's not a fun company to talk about. Wound care. W- mm, wound Colostomy. care. Colostomy. Colostomy bags, like stuff, that yeah. kind of nasty stuff. Important stuff. Uh, though. I mean, but yeah. yeah, like the kind of thing that could be a fantastic business because the market's growing. We've got an aging population. We've got a growing population, and it's also like these are repeat consumables. You don't just buy one colostomy bag. You buy. <laughs> Lots. I mean, it should be a great business. And Smith and Nephew is an example of uh, another of one of these companies on the LSE, which has done incredibly do, well. Doing very well. Yeah, really, really well. Growth has been amazing. Sensible, like investing in the product pipeline. Is, isn't isn't uh, Smith and Nephew much more around the the actual uh, replacement? Uh, joints, as it were. Yeah, it, they, knee, no, they did have that. Knees, um, pips, etc. Et yeah, cetera. yeah. But it's a similar sort of business model. I mean, it's healthcare consumables um it's not drugs it's medical equipment and mm. so i think that was why there was quite a lot of optimism around convertech when it came to the market last year um it was floated out of uh, floated by private equity who'd bought it from bristol myers squibb um 
a few years before and they came to the market with a load of debt which they raised a bit of money and then they refinanced their debt um, as well um, but they've still got a load of debt and the growth is just it's just not there and what's going wrong though I mean, yeah, as you say I mean these are I mean you know these are markets that you would expect, given the, the demographic trends that we, we are seeing, mm. I mean, this, this, should be a, this should be a slam dunk for them, surely. Yeah, it should. But I think what the problem seems to be is that they're not a market leader. They're in, in any of their industries. So because they're always fighting, there's so much competition, but they haven't really invested as much in their product pipeline as competitors have. So is that is that? Do you think that's partly because of, of where it's come from in terms of its, its yeah. ownership? Yeah. Before it's but, become a, a publicly traded company. Yeah, and it just seems to be that that they have they've been paying these ridiculous finance costs for a very long time. They have been absorbing a lot of the a lot of the money that Convertec makes, rather than actually investing in growth. Mm. So because they haven't invested in their actual products, they're 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 just not as good, and they're being outcompeted by by bigger companies, including Smith & Nephew, and then there's another one in the US called Coloplast, which is a massive company. It's doing really well. They're struggling to compete. Because they're struggling to compete, now they're having to try and invest a bit more, but that's it, not working. Is it going to be enough to turn around? It's not what, really. Perhaps and then, it's been a serial under-investment under for Yeah, I think it has been for a long time. And now they're just, they seem to be doing silly things which are all mistimed like they've moved their they're trying to cut cut out costs by moving their manufacturing from the US to the Dominican Republic but in doing so they've done it really slowly so they've lost a load of contracts with hospitals because you can't wait for your supply of colostomy bags you have to have it now um so people have changed this conversation their... <laughs> worse, worse. carry on Megan people so they've been they've lost a load of business um because of these product delays. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I, understandably. Yeah, and then, so, I mean, that's business that's not coming back, is it? You've, you've lost the trust of your customer. That 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 bit, bit of business is gone, and they're spending so much money, their profits are not looking good, their margins are contracting, even when they said they were widening about six months ago. I mean, everything is just going horribly oh, wrong. We've got them on a sale still, haven't we? We have, and also the other thing is the private equity owners, they're just selling, they're selling out. They They... Were hold they held about twenty percent um, still when they came to the market, which is but. actually not a large amount for a private equity no. house to have when they flip something onto the market. Yeah, but now they have about four percent. Well, one of the owners about four, one has about twelve, and and it's not been on the market very long, has it? Less. So they so they sold down months. quite quickly. Yeah, they've sold down really quickly, and now the demand just doesn't seem to be there for those big chunks of shares. Which yeah. I mean, this, this goes back to a feature we wrote a few weeks ago, uh, Julia Foshaw's uh, mm, IPO okay. feature, yeah. which, which talks about private equity. Yeah. Public, you know, private to public uh, transition. Some of them actually work quite well. This is this seems to be a classic yeah, example of one that's hasn't. done very, very badly. Yeah. So yeah, sell sell Convertech. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, talking of uh, big trends, and and I think the demographic uh, transitions that we're seeing right now are, are one of the biggest trends that we have to contend with. Um, but Harriet, you you um, this week in your cover feature, you're looking at some other trends, which. Uh, are big trends too, really big trends. They are. And I mean, as I said, they're emergent and some people might not necessarily have envisaged that they were going to sort of come to the fore as quickly as they have. But I think we are really seeing that trends like artificial intelligence and virtual reality are actually potentially going to underpin a lot of industries in the future. Yeah, there, there was a guy on a news night this week talking about how, I mean, there was a lot of concern around how our AI is going to destroy jobs. You know, and, and actually, as, as some of you uh, may know, I've just done a degree about this, this very subject. And the, these concerns were to the fore 
in the 1970s as well that robotics were going to basically devastate industry. But it's not proved, that's not proved the case, necessarily. N- not so far, no. And I think, I mean, robotics, you know, people are using robotics and automation more and more, and, you know, and both of those are underpinned by AI. But um, I think for the time being, we still need people to sort of use those robotics. We need people there to kind of oversee what's going on. I think... So, so, so what you're saying then is that, that whilst these technologies exist, yeah. it's actually about how they complement a workflow, as it were, rather, exactly. than, rather than replacing it. So I think um, using Blue Prism as an example, Blue Prism is a company which supplies um, what they call software robots, um, which sort of help with back office functions. And um, I think the idea there is that tasks which are quite manual and rules-based can actually be carried out by a computer just as well as a human employee. And I, I suppose my understanding of it is that then the human employee would be able to do something else with their time. Although uh, as... Uh, like not work. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, or sort of be more creative with their skills um, in a way that a robot wouldn't be able to be. But um, I think more and more as we see automation taking off in factories, for example, I mean, um, in the future in the future we talk about ASOS and Boohoo as examples of companies with automated factories. And, and Ocado as well, isn't it? Ocado has sort of automated fulfilment centres. But I mean, you, you, I mean, you talk about Ocado in your feature. It's not really worked out in terms of, from a shareholder's perspective. It's no. not, you know, the, these amazingly sophisticated warehouses have not translated into shareholder gains. No, and, and you watch um, videos of Ocado's technology and it's pretty unbelievable when you see how automated their fulfilment centres really are. But no, so far, I mean, when, I think when I wrote the feature, it was one of the most shorted stocks on the UK market. And I'm not sure, I imagine it's probably still the case. And um, I, yeah, it hasn't really transpired. It's never been a favourite of mine. No, well, I, I also as think... As a you, consumer, it's great. As, exactly, as a consumer, it's great. But, yeah, but I don't care whether, I don't care whether, you know, whatever's in my shopping bag has been packed by a computer or a human being. I don't give, I don't, I don't give a monkey. You better just go get there quicker and cheaper because it's yeah, being but, packed but it's, by it's a robot. Not, it's not any cheaper, though. It's just the same food, the same price. It gets to my house at the same time. You know, I don't care whether it's a man. It's so much better for Ricardo than it is for like Tesco home delivery. Yeah. Well, you have a lot more oversight of where your order is, and where you kind of you can log on and see every stage of your deliveries. Kind of. And you can book specific slots. But why is it? But why is this not translating into profits? I think. I mean, one of one of the things that I've looked at in the future is actually kind of first mover advantage, and I think with Ricardo, it might be the case that it has paved the way for other companies to copy what it's doing but better so Ocado mm, mm. I mean it looks really interesting it has it actually has a platform called Ocado Technology which kind of which it's trying to sell to other people trying, as exactly. well and, and not having much success with that really no not really and I think you know at the same time we have companies in America like Amazon which is I think testing um, grocery delivery and you can kind of see how they might do what Ocado is doing but on a much greater scale internationally and then they'll companies like Ocado will kind of be squeezed out. Mm. No, I, 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 people I, can't I, really see the potential for it. I absolutely agree. Yeah, Harriet, tell me about your favourite technology that you've looked at in this feature. What's the, what, which is the one you look at and think, just wow? I have to say, I mean, I thought it would be virtual reality because I think that's a really exciting prospect. Um, but I think it as, really... far as, I, as far as I understand, the virtual reality, I mean, the main application of that is sticking a headset on when you get on a roller coaster. Yeah, just... I mean, I know. <laughs> that just doesn't, doesn't blow my mind. That is it not oh, no, 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 no. Apparently, it is mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, I think I need to try this. So, so you thought VR was the one. And I would say, just to that point, although, yeah, I think everyone thinks of virtual reality and thinks it's what gamers do when they're sitting at home on the computer or when you're 
and when you want to try a roller coaster, you put a headset on instead. But there are actually loads of other applications. So one of the companies we've looked at and we've written about a bit before is EVR Holdings, which provides virtual reality music content. You can kind of go to a concert, but from your sofa at home. Dude, that oh, sounds I mean, that, so rubbish. That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just going to ruin everything. I mean, no I'm one's going to do sure. anything. Have you seen Wally? Oh yeah! Oh, you sit, you, you sit, yeah, you sit in your fat chair, and, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and you just sit do there. You don't do anything. You don't. But you never leave your chair. You don't speak to anyone face to face because everything's on a screen. If that's the future, then people need to stop with all this virtual reality nonsense. Virtual reality also kind of transcends the entertainment market. Although I do think that will be a really interesting kind of burgeoning area. Um, the other kind of areas we've looked at are defence training, education, uh, the sorts of companies you might not exactly think would engage with virtual reality and also augmented reality but um we looked at pennant for example which uses virtual reality yeah, simulation. Pennant. tell me about them well i mean that's a uk company it's a UK international company. What, what do they do um they do so they're a sort of defense company um and one of the areas that they specialize in now is virtual reality defense training oh god this is this is the technology. parachute this is the yeah. parachutes isn't so it? they have one of the examples one of their examples is um a virtual reality parachute simulation 3D printing is the one I'm, I'm really interested in. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I think that's probably the one I found most interesting, just because I'd kind of read about it a little bit here and there, but I hadn't really fully understood how much it could sort of penetrate lots of different markets. In the US, there are a couple of major players, so 3D Systems is one, and I think that they're one of the sort of originators uh, yeah, yeah, of 3D yeah. printing. But then there's also Stratasys in the US. Um, we've got one in the UK as well. We've got one in the UK. Um, I mean, we actually have a Zah. two private companies club, but ZAR, which is spelled X-double-A-R. They've been developing their sort of 3D printing business. Um, and one of the areas they particularly specialise in is high-speed sintering, which I'm not going to try to explain because I'll probably do it badly, but it's a sort of more advanced version of 3D printing which uses a sort of powder layer. What do you need to do that's more advanced than 3D printing? I mean, you can make train. You can make, like... Yeah. trainers out of this stuff, can, which is the example we put in the magazine. Exactly. So you can make um, the sort of you can make special structured heels for trainers, and I mean, I think high speed sintering is meant to be able to bring three D printing into mass production. I think that's really what a lot of people have been waiting for. We've read a lot about three D printing, but when is it actually going to affect everyone around the world and not just sort of major industrial players? And, and I think the I think an really important point to note, which we don't really go into in the future because it's too big to mm. even comprehend, but this could change like the entire basis of, of like import export and it you know could. like you know the, the the way that goods move around the world. If you, I mean, if you don't need to make a pair of trainers in in China because you can print it at home. You're going to do that. And I mean, there may come a day, I'm not sure if it'll be in the immediate future, but when people really can order something online and print it at home, I think, you know, in the sort of more immediate future, it might be that shops can print off their stock using 3D printers or, you know, local warehouses can. But I think it can, and it may well massively impact cross-border trade. I mean, certainly for things like, you know, know, car parts, for example, it's it's already happening. And we did. I mean, there there was a report quite recently from ING which looked exactly at this, and um, they said that, you know, in, I think it was in the year 2060, the automotive industry will be massively affected potentially by 3D printing, and the big pr- suppliers of car parts and of whole cars might find that countries are able to print them themselves. It's it's amazing. I mean, it really does have huge implications for, for the things that we're discussing yeah. now around mm. Brexit and the, and the trade deals that mm. we're... I mean, it really does. Maybe you know, we won't need trade deals. <laughs> well, that's, I, I've heard that before. Yeah. That's not the first time I've heard that said. Maybe the, the future means we don't need trade deals. The way that technology is evolving means we, don't, we won't need trade deals in the way that they've historically been uh, structured. We yeah. call the feature the new industrial revolution, which is not as, as good as your title, Harrods. 
which uh, I really like, but it just didn't work with the image. Great well, it's text presentation. An English grad, I think. It you, kind of you like <laughs> came bit, to mind. You like a bit of Dickens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like a bit of Dickens too. Great text expectations. Um, but I think, I mean, the, one of the points we kind of make in the future is that there are expectations, but they're actually already here, a lot of these technologies. So. It's, it's really good. Thank you very much. I, I really enjoy reading it. Thank you. And now I think it's time to head over to uh, Simon Thompson, who's uh, on the telephone. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing really well, John. Had a cracking week, um, produced an online column um, for readers online only, um, hitting target prices. It's well worth the read, 3,000 words of analysis. Well, you would say that, wouldn't you? I I, 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 I find that an amazing thing. um, One of the companies, BP Martian Partners, Cash Rich Insurance, Sector investment company. Um, I've been following it for a few years, and um, they, they beat my uh, forecast. I, I do the modelling on it, so I had the board of directors on the phone. What do you mean uh, you do the modelling? You what, no, no, I mean, I, I, from scratch, I work at, bottom up. Yeah, 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 and I, oh, yeah absolutely. So, so I mean, there's hardly any analyst coverage, and they don't actually predict net asset value or anything like that. So um, I go through the, each individual company um, and actually work out um, what the revaluations will be. And I was predicting that NAV would be heading towards three pounds a share. Simon, so, mean, that makes you that makes you an analyst, not a journalist. I'm 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 both, John. Um, <laughs> you're, you're lucky to have me. <laughs> so you keep telling me. Uh, absolutely. So, so, so what do we like about BP Martian? I mean, you, they beat um, the numbers, but you know, I mean, let's let's put some let's put some meat on the bones of that story. There's more meat on the bones because two two companies which account for half the net asset value. Um, there's news that's not actually in the price. Um, one of them is an independent financial advisory firm, LEBC, that um, has been growing at an incredible rate of knots. That's partly RDR, and um, um, but also it's been winning uh, major corporate contracts as well. And I've heard on the grapevine that they're in the running for what could be a massive contract um, and a material one for their profits. Um, I mean, the profits are going incredibly well. They, they trebled to 2.1 million in the last three years, September 2016, and, you know, they could easily do another 25, 30% of the year just ended. Um, that that company's trading on a pretty big discount to Matty Early Woods, which is uh, the listed rival to when you do a valuation in the accounts with BP Marsh. So, I mean, that's that's one. The other one is um, Nexus underwriting. It accounts for about 20% of their um, net asset value. And um, their cash profits are forecast under Stanford management there. The cash profits are expected to rise to about £11 million compared with 26 back in 2014. Well, it's got an enterprise value of only £123 million. So that puts it on a 11 times enterprise value to cash profit multiple. So, so let's boil this down to the, uh, the, 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 the hard question, Simon. Well, the, 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 the pounds and pence of a share price. What's the upside? Um, Share price now is £2.60, which was initially my target price. I put the readers in at the start at 80-odd pence, and I've kept us the buy ever since. Um, It's got got to be in excess of £3. I mean, the NAV now is £3. I can see an excess of results, another 10, 11, 12% growth in NAV easily. Um, It's just going one way. There's a dividend. And also, every time the share price drops, 
um, more than 25% below net asset value, they go into the market and buy shares. So you've got a... Almost like an investment trust. Almost like an investment trust, basically. Well, well, exactly. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's well underpinned. It's a quality company. They're doing the right things. They've generated some thumping returns and capital on some of the um, companies they've actually sold or investments they've sold. So... I mean that that's one. That's that's an online only article. Um, I've, got, I've got to say I do like I do like these little investment groups. There are a number of them about, and I, and, you, and you tend to pay attention to them because obviously that's where there, there is a potential for significant mispricing. But yeah, here, here's another. Love they're, it. They're just not they're just not covered well by analysts. So yeah. you can actually, and myself obviously, but other investors can go in, do the number crunching themselves, get the edge over other investors, and then when the good news hits the wires. Um, you know, you'll, you'll see a re-rating. Excellent. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's another two companies, Easy Hotel and Elegant Hotels, in the article. I, they're, they're well worth reading. But, um, so, I mean, the, let's, let's, let's turn to the, 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 uh, the magazine article, uh, Simon, which is about property. Um, yeah, so a trio of property plays. My thinking here is that even if the Bank of England increased interest rates, belatedly, I should add... And, and uh, by a very small amount, also. Well, exactly, at, at next month's meeting... Um, there is no way that rates are going to increase any other way than very small amounts in the future. And the most important thing for property companies and house builders and people who pay mortgages is the swap rate market. So that's basically um, priced off um, the yield curve government guilds. And I just can't see any material change in the yield curve going forward. So, do you know what? So, it's funny you mention that. I mean, we, we we do track the yield curve in the magazine, and it, it was bouncing all over the place for a number of years. Uh, it, I mean, it's pretty. It's all gravitating towards like one line, basically. That like where we were three months ago, where where we were twelve months ago. It's it's literally consolidating in one line and not changing very much. Well, well exactly, and that, that's that's despite the fact that we already know that Smart Carney has um, basically told. Um, told us that you know there's a very good chance interest rates will actually base rate will actually rise um, next month. But um, people are actually taking the sensible approach that you know it's, it's going to be small increments and um, you know cheap cheap borrowing is going to be here for quite some time. So I mean that's got implications for the house building sector. And I put readers into Telford Home, East London house builder, just after Brexit last year uh, when there were. Very anomalously priced. Was it? Was um, this? Was this after the the huge sell off then? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, the, the share price was two pounds eighty nine. It's now four pounds now. Um, even at four pounds, the, the shares are trading about nine and a half times earnings for the current financial year. But the most important thing to um, remember here is that they've been de-risking their forward sales. They've got a forward order book of five hundred eighty million quid. That, that equates to about seventy percent of forecast sales over the next two financial years. Um, it's on track to increase its profits. And they, this is guidance from management, by the way, um, by 15% to £40 million in the current financial year. Um, analysts are actually going for more than that. Peel Hunt, Gavin Gago, the analyst there, expects another 10% on top of that, £40 million PBT, implying earnings to share of about 47 pence, share price £4, so that's your nine, and a half, nine times earnings rating. Um, there's a decent dividend yield as well. I mean, they're looking at about 17 pence worth of dividends this year, so the yield is over 4%. Mm. Um, but you then look at the forwards 
pipeline and you, you segment it and think, well, you know, how sound is it? Well, they've got 500 builds to rent homes with a gross development value of £236 million pounds in that pipeline. The build, oh, the build to rent stuff. Yeah, Jonas, Jonas has been writing about this quite, quite, uh, quite a lot. It's, it's a very interesting move for them. I think, I think it's a very interesting move generally given, given the trends in the property market. Well, the thing is, you, you get a big insurance company like Legal and General or Aviva on board, and they basically um, buy the land, fund the development, so there's no development loans for Telford on these 500 build-to-rent homes. Um, that then has implications for its gearing levels, has implications for its return on capital, which is going to be higher uh, because of the lack of borrowings. Um, you know, net debt for Telford Homes at the end of March was only £14 million. Pounds. I mean, that was, you know, 7% of shareholders' funds. It's nothing. Um, but you've basically got blue chip institutions that are backing these developments and they're basically guaranteed. Indeed. Um, indeed. Yeah. I mean, the house building thing, the house building question is one we've, we've asked on the magazine a number of times. I mean, this this momentum trade has, has just continued and continued, apart from the, the Brexit wobble. I mean, we've got Bellway results in the magazine this week. That share price graph is... It's a pretty straight upward line, you know. The the the, the special dividends are, are fat. The, the 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 profits are ticking up. I mean, the house building sector it's just flying. Absolutely, and you know, you also got to bear in mind that my favoured um, first quarter house building trade is just around the corner as well. Oh, so. I can't wait, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's see what the share prices are like come the end of December, John. But it hasn't failed uh, for a while, has it? No, it's it's, it's, uh, it's a standing dish in the stock market. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, hey, hey, talking to, talking to the house building trade. That was one of the trades in your uh, was it your last book or your first book? I can't remember which one now. Was, so many books, Simon. Book. It, was, it was it was the first book, John. And you're um, you're, you're going to be going right another one, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be taking um, part of November and most of December off in order to um, write my next book. So that that will be hitting hitting the um, the shops next year. Can but, you tell us uh, any can you give us any clues where you're heading with this one? Um it's it's going to be very interesting indeed. That's not um, a clue, so <laughs> <laughs> Well all I can say is if you like if you like the last two, then you're going to like the next one as well. So um I, I've just got to put pen to paper. So um that that's 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 something for early next year. Excellent. It was it so thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll catch up again next week. Brilliant. Great Cheers, talk. Simon. Cheers. Okay, so thank you, uh, thank you, Simon. Simon is is uh, is prolific, as I'm sure you're all aware. And there's lots more on the website, lots more in the magazine, lots of ideas there. Thank you, of course, to to Harriet and to Megan for their contributions today. Um, we've barely touched the size of that feature. It's, it's absolutely huge, and, Me- and Megan has written so much this week, and it, it actually was really a quiet week for, for, for us because we, we're winding down on the results front but uh, plenty more in the magazine Philip Ryland has uh, has uh, resumed his 50 objects we're, we're on number 41 and uh, we're counting down to 50 for the, uh, the rest of the year 50 objects that, that have shaped the world of finance as we know it lots more in the magazine, lots in the personal finance and fun section Leonora's back and they'll be talking about that tomorrow uh, lots in the, uh, the comments uh, comment section as usual thank you uh, very much for listening pick up the magazine, all good news agents, the new industrial revolution which is what it really is 4 pound 90 see you later